Well, every year at Christmas, I face a, a Christmas quandary. And the quandary isn't really about which gift to buy for which person, though that can prove quandrous. That's not really a word. Don't use it. I made that up. But, you know, two gifts in a hand, which one? The quandary isn't about which gathering or event to attend during a busy season where several are scheduled for the same night, though that can prove quandrous as well, as I hold two invitations asking which one. Instead, my quandary is this. I turn on the radio, and I hear being sung, Oh, holy night. And I'm told in that song, fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. I hear, behold your king, before him lowly bend. I hear his power and his glory evermore proclaim. And I say amen to all of that. But then in the next song, silent night, I hear Holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. And so the Christmas quandary is which one? Do I fall on my knees or do I pick up the sleeping baby? The answer is yes, both. You and I tend to be either or people. Instead, you and I must be both and people. God is the totally other than we are, transcendent, fall on your knees, God of power and glory. God is also the imminent, near to us, God who slept in the manger as a baby. God is always both. He is transcendent, He is God, He is other, He is holy, and He is also near. Christ came to earth, the earth of man, so that man might come to the heaven of God. Come unto me, said Jesus. But we must remember that the we to whom we come is God. And so we must live our lives in this Christmas quandary. We must draw near to the God who drew near to us. And that's what I want to talk about this morning as we return this week to Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to open to that place. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And when you found your place in Luke chapter 1, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, this is the word of the Lord. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, 
While he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And then in verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Let's pray once again. Father, as we've already asked, we ask again, bless us now through the power of your Spirit. As we come to your word, help us see, Lord, both that you are a transcendent God, so other than we are, but an eminent God who is so near to us. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. This morning we're going to look at the transcendence and the eminence of God through the stories of one angel and his interaction with two different men. Let's start first with the angel. Look again in verse 11. It says, And there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And then in verse 19, we read, The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. So, our God is a good news God. Is that good news? See, Gabriel normally stands in the presence of God, but he is the angel that God sends to announce good news in bad times. He's the angel that brings comfort. He's the angel of mercy. He's the angel of promise. His name Gabriel means God is great. God is my strength. And so that's Gabriel, the angel. Now let's look at this very first recorded good news interaction that we know of that he had with man. And this interaction, Gabriel's first, that shows the imminence and the nearness of God was when God sent him to the prophet Daniel. You are familiar with Daniel's story. Daniel was in captivity in Babylon, along with all the rest of God's people. Daniel's three close friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had been thrown into the fiery furnace because they refused to bow down and worship the golden image of King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel himself had been thrown into the lion's den because when the king forbid prayer, when the king outlawed prayer to anyone but to himself, Daniel refused not to pray to God. And so he prayed how many times a day? Uh-oh, y'all need to read your Bibles. 
How many times a day? Three times a day. Now, I'm not Daniel, but if I were Daniel, I think I would be asking the question, Lord, when will all of this end? When's it going to be different? When's it going to be better? Daniel needed some good news. Daniel needed the strength of God that the name of Gabriel represented. Daniel needed promise for the future, strength for today, and bright hope for tomorrow as we sing. Listen now to this testimony from a needy Daniel. He says, I was praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the, God, with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. And as I was praying, Gabriel came swiftly to me. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given, and now I'm here to tell you what it was, for you are very precious to God. Come on, don't miss this. While Daniel was praying, while he was praying, God sent Gabriel, and Gabriel came swiftly. Gabriel said, the moment you began praying, God's command went to him. That's how near God is. And I would say that that is good news. The ESV says that Gabriel came to him, but that word came to him also means touched. And so some translations, some versions translate that while Daniel was praying, Gabriel touched him. And to me, that is such a, a bold and dramatic and a vivid, beautiful image for our instruction, for you and for me. Daniel's intense prayer is interrupted by the touch of an angel. That speaks to us, to you and to me, of the immediacy of our prayers being heard and the swift response of our God who is so near to us. You know, you and I are conditioned to hear that recorded message we are experiencing unusually high call volumes today. Your call is important to us. Please stay on the line. You will be answered by our next available representative in 20 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever it might be. You and I have never uttered a prayer that God has not heard, even while we were praying it. Is that good news to you? He's not distracted by anyone else. We don't have to wait in line. We don't have to leave a message. God is imminent. He's near. Therefore, we can and we should approach him more often. We see the same imminence when Zechariah has his encounter with Gabriel. Look in verse 13. Gabriel says to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Of course it has been. Just as we expect it would have been because God never changes. He's never not near. Of course God had heard Zechariah's prayer. And yet God's timetable is different for Zechariah than it was for Daniel. Daniel testified 
after he'd seen this vision of God, that it made him sick. He says this, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. I was appalled by the vision, and I did not understand it. And so God answered his prayer immediately. God sent Gabriel, saying, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision immediate. But Zechariah, when did he first offer his prayer? Years before? Decades before? We don't know. How long had Zechariah prayed for a child? Maybe from the very first days of his very long marriage. And perhaps since he and Elizabeth were so old, he had ceased to make that request at all, believing that it would not or could not be granted, and so he just set it aside. But God had heard every time that Zechariah prayed. He was always near to Zechariah. And God did answer according to his plan and his time. For you and for me, the lack of an immediate answer, which we usually equate with getting what we asked for, sometimes we wrongly believe when we don't get that immediate answer that God is not near, that God does not hear. But that's a lie. It's a lie from Satan, who is the father of lies, who wants us to believe that God is not near, that God does not hear, that he does not care, and that he is not merciful. But both Daniel and Zechariah proved that to be a lie. As soon as he started to pray, God sent Gabriel to Daniel. Zechariah prayed and he waited long, but God was no less near him. No less loving, no less merciful. God's timing is his mercy. I'm going to say that again. God's timing is his mercy. In ways that you and I cannot see. His love for us is in his timing. And that's why we read this morning from Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to redeem and so consistent as always our good news gabriel god comes to us but no longer through an angel no he chose to come himself according to his time to fulfill his purpose why because god had never been far from his people from all the people he created in his image he'd never been distant And when the time was right, he sent Jesus to be near to us. He is eminent. But here's the quandary. The God who comes near to us is still God. He is transcendent. He is other than we are. And he can be nothing else. And we see his transcendence in the fact that that Daniel and Zechariah were both afraid of Gabriel when he appeared to them. Daniel said, So Gabriel came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened, and I fell to my face. In Luke 1, we read, And Zechariah was troubled when he saw Gabriel, 
and fear fell upon him. When the beings of heaven come to earth from the presence of God, this is the reaction. Fear. Because in that moment, humans, people like you and me, can suddenly feel how far short we fall of the glory of God. And even though the angels that have come from the presence of God have only a bare fraction of God's glory to humans, they are awe-inspiring and fear-producing. In his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis writes about a human in heaven who discovers this, quote, The grass, hard as diamonds to my unsubstantial feet, made me feel as if I were walking on wrinkled rock. You know, you and I, we flop down in the soft grass, don't we? We roll around in it, but Lewis thinks the grass of heaven is different. It's too hard. In the heaven he describes in that book, the water's too hard to drink, the flowers cannot be plucked, and the leaves cannot be picked up. And I think the key word from Lewis, for you and for me, is unsubstantial. His unsubstantial feet walked on the grass of heaven. You see, that's what earth is compared to heaven. You and I think that this is what's real. We think earth is what's really real, and, and heaven is the, is the fluffy, floaty-on-cloud type existence. But in reality, heaven is more real than earth. It's more substantial. Earth life is really a shadow life. And that's why, listen, you and I have to have glorified bodies in heaven. I think the bodies that you and I have right now would have to disintegrate in the presence of such holiness and glory and transcendence. We need a different kind of body to be in the presence of God. And Jesus does not make God less transcendent, less glorious, less awe-inspiring or fear-producing. That was not his purpose in coming. God is always these things, and he can never be other than who he is, so unlike, so above, so beyond that which he has created. His ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And you know what? That's why I'm so passionate. And I repeat it over and over again that we, the church, we who reflect the glory of God on this earth must not try to look like the world to reach the world. The glory of our God must be lifted above. It must be because it is other than the world. Jesus never ceased to be glorious when he became like us. When he came to earth, he only temporarily dimmed that glory. We sing it this way, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. And only for the briefest moment did Jesus reveal that glory to Peter and James and John, 
when they were on that mountain where Jesus was transformed before their eyes, where his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white as light. That is transcendent glory. And then on the road to Damascus, the glorified Christ appeared to Paul. And the light of his presence was so intense that Paul fell to his knees and he was struck blind by the light. It's into that presence that you and I will someday go. That's why we have to have new new eyes to be able to look upon it. Jesus could have always shined like that on earth, but he did not. He did not, and for this purpose, so that we, in our humanness, in our right now bodies, could draw near to him. Near enough to him to show us That through faith in him, we can right now and then forever and ever be in the presence of his transcendent glory. John Owens writes, the more I see the glory of Christ, the more the painted beauties of this world wither in my eyes. God's transcendence keeps us from becoming too comfortable and too cozy and too attached to this world, which we are apt to be. Transcendence, listen, it means that something, some place, someone more glorious than we are, more glorious than anything in this world exists. Is that good news? Eminence assures us that that transcendent glory awaits us. Is that good news? You're going to have to give me credit for the fact that in all this time I've been back from Scotland, I have not yet once quoted Samuel Rutherford, even though I spent eight days in a cottage across from the ruins of his church, and every day I walked to the field where his manse was. But you're going to get one this morning. Samuel Rutherford writes, that the Lord's hand will direct us safely to the heavenly shore to find the weight of eternal glory. As we look back to our pains and sufferings, we shall see that suffering is not worthy to be compared to our first night's welcome home in heaven. And so this angel Gabriel reminds us that our God is a great good news God. The good news is that he's near, he's imminent, but that's only good news if he's also a transcendent, glorious God. Only if God is other, only if he is holy, only if he is awe-inspiring and fear-producing, only then can you and I truly grasp the depth of the gospel that saves us, that brings us into his presence, and then truly call it good news. It will be our eternal joy, and we will be able to bask in the glory of that transcendent presence. Jesus makes it fit for it. We would never want God to change. We would never want him to be less glorious or less holy or less transcendent. No, we are changed by Christ for God. So this morning, there's really no quandary. 
You don't have to make a choice between transcendence or eminence. God is both and. And so I would say this, fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Chains shall he break. Oh, praise his name forever. Your chains, my chains, broken. Glory, Psalm 29. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice of the Lord strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. Your only hope. My only hope in this world is that our glorious God is powerfully strong and transcendent. But we also need to feel the loving, comforting touch of God through the hand of Christ. Scripture says, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, Be clean. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, O you of little faith. And Jesus took them in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Transcendent, imminent, let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to see you more clearly for who you are. Lord, we can be a people so easily out of balance to see only your transcendence in such a way that we fear you, we think you're cold and distant and would never come to you. Or Father, we see only your eminence and we drink coffee and we eat popcorn while we worship and we grab the elements of the Lord's Supper on our way out the door to consume them in the car. Father, I pray that you would ever keep before us your transcendence and your eminence. One does not make sense without the other. Teach us to love you and glorify and worship you because you are both. You are transcendent and you are near. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.